0: Greetings, Troubled listeners. Welcome back to the Troubled Men podcast. I am Renee Komen, back in the safe house, on the line with my co-host, the original Troubled Man for Troubled Times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, man.
1: You Mm -hmm. don't like the safe house, do you?
0: Um, I like the safe house, you know, I like to get out of the safe house, you know, it's like, I like to look you in the eye, you know, I like it when we're all breathing the same air. I mean, uh, you know, when we're, we're feeling each other's uh, skin tension, you know, I can match your breathing. It's, it just feels much more, uh, more, um, I don't know, uh, what's the word congenial, something like that.
1: Yeah, well. I don't know. I think this might be the new normal. It's just Uh. being in our in our houses and doing this. I think it 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 it, it might just be the new normal. I don't Uh. know. I don't know. Well,
0: well, we're we're fortunate to be back in our houses because uh, you know, like lest we uh, uh, move past this. uh, I was going to say not too much going on this week. Well, it's a joke because in fact, uh, you know, we had uh, hurricane came through. Hurricane Ida.
1: Yes, it's a big mess. Idaho. Idaho. She's a fucking <laughs> whore, man. Now, we fucking dropped her fucking period on the, d- now, the did, southeast did, Louisiana.
0: Did you uh, did you uh, ride out the storm in mid city at your house, Manny? Yes, yes, I
1: did. Okay, I did. now how was that? Um, uh, it was pretty intense. Uh, I mean, there was, cause it was like, it, once it hit like land, it, it seemed to be so slow, you know, it's, it's yes. sometimes these things come through and you're done. But, um, you know, I, I think it hit the coast around one o'clock or two o'clock. And by the time it made it up here to new Orleans, it was like four or five o'clock. I, I don't really remember. Right. About but, that. um, yeah, it was pretty fierce. Um, we had, uh, our, our supplies, but we knew, we knew, uh, the, um, power was going to turn off you know, mm-hmm. go off eventually. And I think it was around 6 PM or something on that Sunday night. Was it Sunday night? Yeah. And yeah. it went off. So we basically stayed here. We slept, uh, got up and surveyed the damage and we were pretty fortunate, uh, just, um, uh, uh, some shingles, quite a few shingles on our tenant side flew off, but no leakage whatsoever. No leakage okay. at That's, all.
0: It's always good when you can avoid the leakage.
1: Yeah, there's no leakage because I went in the attic to see if there was any sunlight coming through and it was absolutely none. Okay. So we were lucky there and you know we had some tree debris. There was a, 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 a block away on Esplanade in North White. There was a huge sycamore tree that Took, fell down and, and blocked both lanes of traffic. Mm. And then to the right of us towards Ursuline, there's this woman who lives there. And, and I don't know what she does. I don't know what her name is. But she had two trees fall on her house. Um, and that was major because one of them was huge. And, and right. like, So basically, we had some shingles and tree debris. That the worst part of it was uh, on Tuesday... Just down the block, uh, there was some Puerto Rican family that moved in. So that was the worst part of everything. Oh, wow.
0: And you're Mexican, so that's, uh, you know,
1: you're halfway there anyway. Yeah, you know, they. It might might turn out
0: better than you imagine, man. Well, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: I'm not going to talk to them. Once they open a. uh,
0: don't make any decisions. You might warm up to him, man. He uh,
1: could, I might save your was, life
0: someday. in the next storm that poor pu- Puerto Rican family might be, uh, might be, uh, you know, p- well, you I, I off heard, heard the one rubble. of the
1: brothers does roofs, you know? Well, there you go. So, there you go, you man. Know?
0: Send him over so. to me. Cause look, I did not, uh, uh, fare as well as you did. Um, so we lost power, you know, about four thirty, just like everybody else. And, uh, then it really started whipping the wind over here, man and it's uh it was blowing rain into my windows on the the east side of the house and uh then you know, I have all those trees in my yard. I have that double lot, you know it's one hundred and fifty feet deep, it's like a park over here, it's like a forest. Well, trees started snapping, man I had a a, a mature uh cypress tree snap off half of it, crash into the house um that was shocking because it, 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 didn't, it didn't like break through the house, but it was, it was big enough to have smashed if it hit just a little bit differently. It kind of got caught by another tree. And then uh, about 6 o'clock, I went upstairs and uh, rain was coming through my bedroom ceiling and uh, went up into the attic and saw that, well, I must have had lost enough uh, roof tiles. You know, I have this uh, asbestos rigid tile roof. It's not a regular uh, seal tab fiberglass roof. Um, so those things must have been blowing off. I had uh, water pouring in from a couple of different sections in the in the attic. So for the rest of the, the, that entire night, I was up and down the attic stairs every half an hour, emptying buckets, carrying them up and down the, the attic stairs, changing them out, moving them around, used every dry towel in my house to, uh, to, to sop up the stuff coming in, the blowing in the windows. And, uh, and then halfway through the night, the other half of that giant uh, uh, cypress tree broke off. It was kind of like that, you know, I remember you had last year just a regular rainstorm. You must have had like some tornadic winds come through uh, right in your neighborhood, and it snapped that pine tree
1: off and stabbed
0: it into the roof of your house. It was that kind of break that happened on this this cypress tree where it just snapped Uh, it off mid-trunk. Well,
1: cypress trees are weak. They're very weak trees. Yeah. that's That's what like a lot of people told me. Because there was a huge cypress just down the street that snapped. And then I heard from all the, you know, everyone's an expert, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah, you
1: know, everyone's an expert. They say, oh, cypress trees are very weak. They're going to they're gonna fall no matter, you know, even 80-mile-an-hour winds. Yeah, well, you see, this
0: this tree has stood up for, I mean, the tree's got to be at least 60 years old. It never broke yet, so, you know, it's... Well, uh, the
1: problem is you got to remember, so unless you're constantly keeping an eye on these trees... The top of these trees, the, the dead branches start to fall, and if you don't see them, they, 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 uh, they, they start to become canopies. And that's what happened with the pine tree that I had last year. These branches start to grow together, and the dead ones don't fall, so they become what they call a canopy, and wind will come, you know, hardcore wind will come, and it won't be able to flow. Oh,
0: catch it like so, a sail, huh?
1: Yeah, it catches it, and then it snaps it. Okay, and that's what happens. You know, I've said this for years, Renee. I hate trees. I've never liked trees. <laughs> I don't like trees. I don't know what they're here for, except yeah, to make no, they're, wood.
0: They're beautiful. Yeah. They're shade. They, I, I yeah, love the trees.
1: I, I, I can get I can get an umbrella with a. I can get an umbrella to have shade if I want. Yeah, don't no. like trees. I'd never have. And uh, I'm sorry that you know what happened, but it, it is what it is. You know? Well,
0: well speaking of trees, so that was uh, one damage I had at at my house, um at uh, your old apartment, at my uh, my property on Bienville Street, that giant uh, uh uh Chinese elm tree in the backyard totally keeled over, totally became uprooted and smashed through the uh the laundry room in the back. And uh man it went all the way into the ne- the neighbor's yard now there's a, a long long story that's got many great twists and turns but I, and I'm not going to go into it tonight because um, we have a great guest, and I don't want to eat up all of his time, but, but I was able to my son, you know, he's over in, in Ireland, and sweet boy that he is, he was there on the Internet looking for tree cutters after he, he heard the, the trouble that we had. He found me a guy on like the uh, classifieds, two-lane classifieds or something. called the guys. must have been like Wednesday night or something, uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. and made a deal with him. great deal. I go out there to meet him at Bienville Street. Uh, from right from the very first meeting, it was so there was no part of this deal that didn't seem like a, a a real sketchy drug deal. You know, from the the first time I got there, I saw the the vehicle, the guys were driving. I uh, texted my wife. I said, "Call me in five minutes. If I don't answer the phone, it's because there's a problem. <laughs> Call the cops. So turned out there wasn't a problem there, but, uh, you know, the, the very, well,
1: very I, I'm very surprised. I thought, you know, you being such a cheap guy, you would do everything yourself, but uh, well, I
0: guess. no, man, you know, you know, but it's, uh, this is a, I don't know how much wood was from, I would guess it's maybe like three or four tons of wood that, that came out of that tree. I don't know, maybe I'm overestimating, but it's a lot. It's, uh you know, it's, I, I have, I, I was exhausted just Talking on the phone and trying to make arrangements and supervising people without picking up any wood, you know. But uh, there were uh, thankfully I only had to uh, call my wife and tell her to to do that same thing one more time in the in the 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 life of this job. And finally got through it. And uh, that tree is gone. We're moving ahead. uh, Have stump grinders coming out. We have a meeting with the uh, carpenter tomorrow to rebuild this this shed. So. Things are moving, but it's uh, it's exhausting, man. Didn't you find this whole thing? Now you were out in uh, Reefer Ridge, right?
1: Well, yeah. my My mother in law has a generator, so once the power went off, we went there. We just went there, and we were very comfortable. There was internet and cable TV and mm. uh, a full bar, so okay. I was very you know fine, and you know we had a, the whole second floor was uh, there's a few bedrooms up there. We just crashed up there at night. Okay. Um, the only problem out there was, is, and this is the funniest thing, if you ask me, is like through this whole thing, the ones who are coming out with like, you know, like with rave reviews are the sewage and water board here in Orleans Parish. No, you know, they their pumps continue to work. They didn't have any problems with water pressure here in Orleans Parish, all that kind of stuff, where usually they're the ones who are the first ones to go down, you know, yeah. any kind of... Uh, hurricane a tropical storm you know the pumps don't work but everything worked for them
0: yeah i think they made it by the skin of their teeth this time i think it was very it was a razor's edge could have easily uh uh, you know you know interesting thing about this as much wind as there as there was with this storm wasn't a ton of rain in fact i didn't see or see any lightning at all or hear any thunder the entire time this thing was tearing my house apart it's crazy it's just all all Um, wind
1: yeah, it was a big wind hurricane. It was more wind than water, that's for sure. But, you know, um, I slept through a lot of it, to be wow, honest Wow, okay. <laughs>
2: yeah, Good for I you. I slept
1: through a lot of it because, you know, when Kabul fell a couple of weeks ago, the heroin started coming in, and I, and I just, you know, you know how I love heroin. Oh, wow oh, you're, you're back uh, on the so horse. I, I slept through a lot of this. Okay. Well, that's know, nice. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I feel bad. A lot of people out there in the country where, this, where they were just ravaged and stuff, other parishes and stuff, and, and I look at, the, you know, all the destruction and where these people live, and, and the one thing that comes to mind is why are you living there? There's nothing there. Why Uh, are you out
2: there?
0: You know, I mean, if you're talking about, like, the the coastal places, well, it's beautiful. It's, you know, it's out on the coast, Grand Isle, places like that. They're very vulnerable. But, I mean, we had communities way inland, Thibodeau, Houma, that, uh, you know, are regular cities. And, you know, they have all kind of industries around there, you know, uh, uh, oil and gas, all, all kind of other stuff, and those are regular cities. And look, I, I talked to our, our last guest that, from the episode that we posted, uh, Tony Hazelden, you know, he's down in Homa or or one of those, and I uh, talked to him the other day, he said their electricity is projected to come back on September 29th, so a full month after it got
1: knocked out. I don't, but yeah, it's like, but what's, I mean, I guess there's jobs down there or whatever. Yeah,
0: there's communities, uh, there's people yeah. have been living down there for hundreds of years, you know.
1: It's, uh, yeah, well, it's like those, you know, back in the 80s, it was like all those feed the starving people in Africa. It was like, well, why don't you move? There's nothing there. Nothing grows there in Africa. Get out of Africa. Move.
0: Right, right, you know? right. Well,
1: it's the same yeah. thing with all these places outside. Of, you know, and because go where, usually, you know. You know, yeah. it's crazy, you know. Wow. Well.
0: Well, uh, maybe we should uh, get our guest in here, don't you think?
1: Sure, why not?
0: Okay. Well, listen, we're very lucky. This is a guest I've, I've wanted to get on for a while. He's a, he's a singer, he's a guitar player, former teen idol, TV star, grew up with uh, Ozzy and Harriet Harriet as parents, uh, had such hits as uh, Travelin' Man, Hello, Mary Lou. There's one that you mentioned that was your favorite, right? What was that? Uh, Garden Party, that was it. Oh, yeah. So without, right. without further ado, Mr ricky nelson
3: i think i'm on the wrong show wait wait, wait. that's not right no, we, no in fact manny no we
0: we don't have ricky nelson no we have rick g nelson okay all right let's get,
3: let's I, get okay down. good i am in the right place yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah. sorry <laughs> sorry about that rick so uh, so so let me to clarify mr rick g nelson rick nelson uh, he's a he's a recent grammy winner um he's uh he's a Multi instrumentalist, a uh, string player, uh, plays violin, viola, cello, bass, guitar, piano. He's a record producer, arranger, composer. He's uh, an owner of the terrific Maroney Recording Studio here in town. Love that place. He's a veteran of bands such as uh, Polyphonic Spree, Afghan Wigs, Twilight Singers. We're going to get into all that, but uh, without. But fruit, he
1: also has garden parties, I hear. Okay. I all do. Right. All right. Yes. All right. Yes. Well, you've you, you been known to have a garden party.
3: Usually with crawfish. There you go. There yeah. you go.
1: Well, so without
0: further ado, the great Mr. Rick Nelson. Welcome, Rick.
3: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, man, it's a pleasure. Now, now, Rick, I have to ask you: uh, your your parents did they have a somewhat twisted sense of humor, or is that is, is Rick a family name, or how did you? I mean, were they not aware of Ricky Nelson, or they didn't care? Uh, I,
3: I I think actually it's the other way around. I, I think uh, the original Ricky Nelson ripped us off. Uh, okay. I'm the I'm the third, so oh, okay. we were around way before Ricky Nelson was ever around. So um, our lineage goes farther back than. Ozzie and Harriet right on fuck that guy man yeah <laughs> well <laughs> he's, he's dead now <laughs> yeah <so. laughs> no, I,
0: I, I, did, I did love Ricky Nelson and traveling man That's a great song oh, yeah man.
3: it's great I grew up listening to that stuff yeah yeah is yeah. your
1: nickname full Nelson uh
3: yes it is oh, sometimes, okay. sometimes half Nelson It just depends on the mood Right. Man, he did some research for this one. I like it. man. Nice, nice.
0: So, uh, so, Rick, tell us about your, uh, your, your childhood. I mean, not, don't go into too much detail. I don't want to hear about all the painful episodes. Or maybe t- tell me, you know, uh, so you grew up where? Uh,
3: well, I was born in New Orleans, uh, yeah. but I moved away when I was about a year old. Uh, moved to Houston and lived in Houston until I was uh, 18, and played in a bunch of like punk rock bands and orchestras. Um, and then went off to college to Denton, Texas at University of North Texas. Um, was there for four years. Now you're, you're my- speeding
0: by a lot of stuff here. You're, you're covering ah. a lot of ground real fast. <laughs> <laughs> so so you, you said uh, you grew up playing in punk rock bands and orchestras it's interesting we've we've had a whole slew of people who who kind of have this this uh same kind of deal you know it's like uh you know a lot of training but their minds were blown open by punk rock just the possibilities that 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 seemed to uh to offer
3: absolutely i mean i i've that it's weird because when i started playing music at age six on violin so um Hence the orchestral side of me, but you know, it's, it's doing is like the fifth grade, fourth grade, uh, got an electric guitar and mm-hmm. just started doing that and then playing in different bands and, you know, mostly punk bands, rock bands, various things. I remember I played my first gig in the fifth grade and I was, it was all Zeppelin and Hendrix covers, uh-huh. uh, which was pretty great. Sure. Um, and it, I actually, I got paid, which was amazing. And I was like, Oh shit, I could, I could do this. I could do this for a, like a job. Right, you um, were cursed at that point because uh, I was you know, cursed at that point. And yeah. yeah, and it was the first time girls ever talked to me, so I was like, oh god, <laughs> double okay. cursed, okay. money this, and this, chicks. <laughs> yeah, I was like, man, I, I don't. You don't get this from playing violin. So okay. uh, I was like, sounds that was good. good
1: to me, man.
3: Yeah, it worked out. Well, so, let me
1: ask you something. Mm-hmm. So you said playing uh, Zeppelin songs. Did you do like Jimmy Page and use the violin bow on the electric guitar?
3: Uh, yeah, I, I tried it at the time, but I didn't really know what I was doing. I, I have since learned how to do it properly. At the time, it didn't do what it was supposed to do, and I certainly didn't sound like Jimmy Page when I was doing it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, just, uh, I, I would like to think that was the thing, uh, but no, I definitely was not as good at that as I wanted to be.
1: Now, so were these older women like seventh graders who were hitting on you?
3: <laughs> uh, they were. I mean, it was a it was a fifth grade party, so they were all about the same age as I was. Age appropriate, right on. But that being said, um, so not too long after that, I did go uh, to this kind of outdoor amphitheater party it wasn't even amphitheater it was like this like park or whatever my sister took it was a
1: garden party
3: it was a garden party (laughs) and there was a band that was playing and my sister convinced the band to let me up on stage with them and Mm. i ended up playing uh right here right now if you remember that song sure yeah, so uh, I played that with the band, and then the older women came to me, and I was like, <laughs> "Okay, now this this is where it's really at." Jesus that was probably Jones, right? Was that the- Jesus Jones, exactly. Yeah, yeah,
0: I can't believe I remember that.
3: Yeah, um, so that was that was my first introduction to older women. You know, they were okay. a whole, like two years older, and that was I was a lot. Right on. So yeah.
0: Well, so did, did your parents come have a musical background or something? How'd you get into studying violin so early?
3: That's a good question. No, I'm the only musician in my family. I'm kind of a rarity. Um, you know, I, my dad and mom, they listen to a lot of music. I mean, the, the first thing, my first musical memory is, is, is listening to uh, the, the Beach uh, Beach Boys and the Beatles and stuff like that. So, I mean, I grew up listening to that stuff, but um I had a cousin in Seattle who played guitar and later on kind of being in the grunge scene a little bit, um, but he was like a distant cousin that I had met like once or twice in my life at that point. So I didn't really have a connection to him. Um, so yeah, it was just kind of a rarity that I fell into that path.
1: Hmm. How old hmm. are you?
3: I'm 43. Okay. So that
1: that makes sense. So wow. You were born what, in the 70s or late? St- wait, wait.
3: 78. Okay,
1: Jesus, I was starting high school Yeah, I was area. already
0: into punk rock by the time <laughs> you were
1: born.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, punk rock was actually kind of over by the time you were born, really. I mean, it was, it was waning, but of course, you know, the, the, the concept has, has lived on, you know. So there was nice. various waves. Sure, of it. sure, sure, of course, of course, of course. <laughs> Um, well, so you—you, you, I didn't realize that you were born here. Your family has uh, roots in New Orleans?
3: Oh, yeah. So my, my grandfather was in the um, Coast Guard, and he got stationed here. So they moved from Seattle to here. Um, so that's how my father's father ended up coming down here. My mother was originally from Houston, and my grandfather worked for Exxon, and he got transferred over to live in New Orleans. Um, so my parents grew up here, um, essentially. And then hmm. I was born here and my dad got an opportunity to work for an insurance company in Houston. So we moved away when I was just a kid, but I came back in 2005 and, uh, you know, I, I can't see myself living anywhere else now.
0: Was that like the post Katrina wave that you, you wrote in on?
3: Yeah, it was weird. I, my whole, I had a very comfortable life, uh, in Austin, Texas at the time and, uh, had a great house uh, great career. Um, I was touring all the time and just loving it. Um, and I had tours lined up, but in late September, I decided I was going to come to New Orleans and volunteer and rebuild houses for a week. Uh, and I just I saw the destruction and saw how terrible it was, and you know, like my
0: it turned you on,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, my family had a lot, a lot of suffering, you know, during Katrina, so I thought that. Coming here, I would right some wrongs. Like my, my grandfather died. Oh, I'm um, sorry, man. My sister had to move away. My dad's house was just leveled to a concrete slab. So I was like, I'm mm. going to go there and like just spend a week. And then after a week, I just stayed another week. And then I started canceling tours. And the next thing you know, uh, I was basically – I mean, I, I had a house in Austin, but I didn't go back – for six months to eight months till I finally just went and just got all my stuff and brought it to New Orleans and I was like okay this is my home now nice nice um,
1: so how did you fare with Hurricane Ida
3: um, well in comparison to what I've been hearing from Renee uh, I feel I did pretty good um, there was definitely some issues not quite on the same scale I had two um, got two pretty big leaks in my living room um, so some some wind damage to the roof so i've got an insurance adjuster coming out to take a look at that um i had two trees fall on my shed no real damage uh cut those off the past couple of days um i did total my car which sucked
0: oh man i was so sorry to hear that here's just kind of collateral damage huh
3: yeah i mean it was crazy so like so we we stayed through the storm and it wasn't that big of a deal we were planning on staying we had a generator but New Orleans ran out of gas. So, you know, on that Tuesday I drove all around looking for gas in New Orleans. It was no gas. And I drove up to Slidell. There was no gas in Slidell. So I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to have to get my wife and my animals in the car and drive to my mom's house, which was, it's three and a half hours away in Alabama. So I about five o'clock loaded up the car, um, had two cats, two dogs, had to leave one cat behind. She was outside and she, I couldn't find her. Mm. Um, but she's kind of used to being outside. But anyways, we hit the road, we get on the twin span about halfway across the twin span bridge, going to slide L. Um, the tread on my front driver's tire came off. I was going like 80. It was just, everybody was trying to get the hell out of town. And the, the tread came off, took out my bumper, took out my side panel, took out a good portion of my door, took out my mirror, took off my handle. Just the tire Um, did. Just the tread of the tire. Wow. And I thought someone had like shot a bazooka at my car. It like was the loudest, craziest sound I'd ever heard. So I like pulled over (sighs) on the, the shoulder and I saw what was happening. But the weird thing was like the tire still had air in it. So I'm like, all right, well, but no tread. And I was like, well, let me see if I can like, drive, at least all, all I wanted to do was get off the bridge. So I made it probably 20, 30 more feet on that tire, mm. and it blew, of course. And then, so I was like, well, I got to get the spare out. So in order to get the spare out, I had to take my two ice chests, which was full of all the stuff in my fridge, uh, the cat cages, all of our luggage, uh, had to get all that stuff out on the shoulder of the twin span, got, finally got to the, the tire, put the cats back inside the car, closed it up so they didn't freak out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I start changing this tire on the side of the road, and just cars pass me going a million miles an hour. Oh, Jesus! Finally, got the tire changed out. Only realized that the tire was flat, mm-hmm. but it had just enough air in it. To where I was like, "Well, I don't have a choice. Like, I got to get off this bridge." So, I drove like five miles an hour the rest of the way across the bridge. Oh God! And I pulled over at the first exit that I could in Slide L, and a, a friend of my dad's lives at that exit, so he helped trailer the car over to his place. And, um, then my mom had to drive from Alabama three and a half hours to come pick us up. And then we basically spent all last week in Alabama and got back just a couple days ago. Oh, jeez, so, man. Oh man. Oh man. Yeah. It was crazy. But you know, it, it, it it's no one got hurt. The right. studio was fine. You know, I, I went to the studio the day the day to check on if, see if there's any damage and there was no damage. Um, there was just like the, the whole roof, it's a flat rubber roof and all of the water is supposed to go through storm drains and all of the storm drains were full of just leaves and debris. Right. And so I got up there with a broom and I was able to like start pushing the water off and getting all the leaves out of the way. And the water, it was, you know, middle of the afternoon, the water was like almost boiling temperature and it felt like I was stepping in acid, just like trying to get all these leaves off the roof. Right. So got all the leaves off the roof, got the water drained away and, um, so there was no damage to the studio. Everything was all fine. And then the next day we got power and I've actually worked, uh, for the past two days, which was crazy. Um, nice. haven't worked in like three weeks. So that was kind of nice to have nice. some sense of, reality of working right right so that was cool
0: well, that's great that's great well let's put the storm behind us this is bumming me out <laughs> <This> is, <Yes. laughs> anyway i hear you yeah yeah let's get back to uh so so you were you you're you're there uh you know playing in punk rock bands and and studying classical music you're playing violin and mm-hmm. uh you you go to uh to university of north texas now for some reason i i always want to call it north texas state university I don't know, maybe it, used it used to, to be, be called, called that. that okay all right correct um, yes. Cause, uh, again, it has a huge reputation, you know, it's, uh, uh you know, famously, uh, Woody Herman walks in and hires the entire, uh, two o'clock band off the floor, you know, his, his, right. his, his, his band. So it's a, a, a very, uh, you know, hallowed, uh, you know, musical institution. So you go there, it's a hotbed. Um, you're, you start off as a violin major. Is that right?
3: Mm-hmm. I did. I, I started violin,
0: but you finish mm-hmm. as a bass performance major. That's correct. What, what, what caused that shift? I, I'm curious.
3: You know, it's, it's interesting. So I decided my se- – well, okay, my entire life, my plan was I was going to be a professional violinist. In my senior year of high school, I decided I wanted to play jazz bass. Mm-hmm. And so I had played punk bass, you know, but I had no formal training on the bass whatsoever. But I decided this is what I wanted to do. So I wasn't good enough to enter uh, on bass so, I, I entered with violin. Um, so, then I started doing that. I was a violin performance major for a year. And then I switched to, uh, I was just practicing bass the whole time. So, I, I mm. switched over to jazz uh, performance on bass concentration. Now, is this
1: a stand up bass?
3: You had to do stand up and electric. Okay. Yeah. So, I did that for up until my senior year. And I was kind of doing the jazz studies thing. And then. My senior year, I, I had still been doing the classical thing on violin a little bit. So my senior year, I was uh, playing, you know, seven nights a week in Dallas and, you know, getting off the gig at two o'clock in the morning, driving back to be at like eight o'clock classes and shit like that. So <laughs> it was just ridiculous. And right. I was talking to the, the counselor and they were like, you know, you've got enough credits. Uh, all you need is one more uh, credit and uh, an elective credit and you can graduate with a base performance degree. And so I was like, great, what's available. And they're like, well, there's this new experimental composition class. uh, It's called the history of Frank Zappa. And I was like, sign me up for that. So uh, my graduating credit was a history of Frank Zappa course. And uh, I graduated in four years. I, I really, I went crazy when I went to college. I, I loved going to school at the time. Um, I ended up having – I would take so many extra hours per semester. I graduated in four years. It was six years with the credits. Wow. And uh, it was fucking great. And now, like, I have nightmares. I never want to go back to school. <laughs> but, like – but at the time, I fucking loved it. It was well, amazing. That's good.
0: That's the time to love it when you're there, man. Yeah.
3: Exactly.
1: Hey, did you get your tire fixed?
3: I did get my tire fixed, yeah. Good, good, mm-hmm. good. Uh, the the car is he- literally held together by zip ties now <laughs> which is <laughs> hilarious so it's not street legal for sure well, but it f- uh, fits
0: right in we're in the 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 uh the neighborhood that the studios in so
3: Well know. it it very much does. So I mean it's it's technically drivable but um <laughs> you know I we're going to get rid of it as soon as possible. I got to get a new car. Yeah. That's the plan. Do you have children? I do not. I have a wife and two oh, dogs and, yeah, they're and they're three cats. Yeah.
0: So you graduate from uh, from University of North Texas, as it's now known. I guess you're already playing in bands, like you said, seven nights a week. But uh, somehow you you auditioned for a polyphonic spree. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. Now, it's a band I saw. Terrific band. Uh, t- tell us, tell the, the troubled nation a little bit about Polyphonic Spree. Give us a, a thumbnail sketch.
3: Sure. Well, I saw their first show at the Fry Street Fair, and um, I was like, I, I'm going to join that band. And I had some friends that were in that band, and I was like, this is what I want because it was the perfect um combination of everything I loved it had the classical orchestral side to it but it was a rock band at, at the fundamental of it all so I was like this is everything I'm looking for um and it was weird it was like a religious experience watching it on stage and I was just so mesmerized that I I I knew then the rest of my foreseeable future had already been set in stone as soon as I saw them play. Wow. Um, and then six months later, they were recording the record. And uh, so I went in and I recorded with them. And one thing led to another, and I just started touring with them. And then for the next uh, 10, 12 years that was my life. And that's what I did. It was amazing.
0: Now that thing of like the vision of seeing something and picturing yourself there, that's, that's a a fantastic, uh, you know, quality or or ability to has, has that happened more than once in your life? Is that a recurring kind of thing that happens?
3: Well, yeah. I mean, I can, the first time it ever happened was when I was in elementary school and you know, you would have your music class that you'd go to and I must've been in the, first or second grade or something like that. I remember uh, my teacher, Mrs. Ross, uh, she had a nylon string guitar and she started playing it. I'd never seen a guitar that I'd known of like up close within just a couple feet. Um, and at that moment, like it was just tunnel vision. All I, Everything else in the room completely disappeared. All I saw was that guitar. <sighs> and I said, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. I am going to be a musician. And I feel very lucky because my whole life has kind of been laid out before me so all i gotta do is just stay on that original path and it's got me where i am today and i'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for that i never questioned what i was going to do I, I knew from that moment on exactly what i'd do until the day i died
0: oh man what a, what, a, what a blessing man uh, it's, uh yeah i got lucky well also well, so being in that band it was like at one time like a 24 piece band of traveling and and mm-hmm. you said it was a religious experience seeing them and they at the you know when when they first kind of broke and and the world got to see them it, a, a lot of the 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 uh you know, the the impression was that it was kind of a cult almost because you guys wore like uh, uh, color-coded choir robes and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it, it had a, a whole kind of a Koresh vibe to it, a little bit of a, or a Heaven's Gate, you know?
3: Sure. So the reason behind the robes, it's funny, it, it never was supposed to be that. And yes, it, it certainly appeared cultish, but I can tell you firsthand, it was basically like band camp on acid yeah uh, there was there was no <laughs> religious aspect to sure. it whatsoever it was sex drugs and rock and roll uh in the greatest format whatsoever but the original purpose of the roads were there were white robes to begin with and what we would do is at our shows we would turn off all the lights and we would project projections on the robe so we were the backdrop oh, cool. so we, we would be playing the music with the projections on our robes so it was supposed to be kind of a Faceless entity. It was supposed to be about the collective of all 24 people playing, um, but it wasn't about anybody in particular in the band necessarily so much as it was about the music and the visual aspect of seeing the projections on the white robes. Mm-hmm. So that's where it all started. And then the robes kind of changed colors over the years. We changed different outfits and did different things. Um, but, yeah, that's that's originally what it all came from. But, it, yeah, it, it wasn't a cult. But in some ways, I mean, it kind of was because, you know, we would – would, in the States, there was no laws as far as how many people could be on a bus. So it, anytime we t- played Europe or anywhere else, you'd have to get two buses. There were just laws. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the States, we would – on a regular basis, pack uh, a a bus with 32 people.
2: Jesus Christ.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, with with crew and everything like that. And the thing about it was I knew from day one, never date anybody in the band because if you dated, you had to share a bunk. Oh,
0: Jesus Christ. Those things are (laughs) barely big enough for one person, you know?
3: Exactly. So I never did. We had this old, um, it was a, a hockey bus. And what they had done is they like every seat turned into a bunk. Uh, Bunks would drop down from the ceiling. So technically everybody had a place to sleep. Uh, But if you were dating within the band, it was not a comfortable situation for sure. It wasn't very comfortable period. (laughs) Right. No, I can
0: imagine Jesus. Like, you know, 10 people on a bus is, is about five too many for me. So,
1: so how many women were in this band?
3: Well, um, about half and half. So, it, you know, and there was definitely some, some pretty, pretty beautiful women in the band as well. But um, they also kind of were more like sisters and, to me at the time. They were just very close friends. We all loved each other very much. But it was funny. On, on certain days, you know, you, you would kind of – I would try to get up early, and it, especially on, like, days where it was, like, travel days. Like, I remember this one time we were driving across Canada – and we were on the, the David Bowie reality tour, and we were going from one city to the next, and I was like, "I want to have a good seat all day long because we 're going to be stuck on this thing all day long." So I got up early in the morning and I went to the front lounge and I popped a, a spot right 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 by the bathroom. Mm-hmm. It was perfect view of the TV, so I ended up watching the director's cut of all the lord of the rings back to back it was like 12 hours mm-hmm. and i did not move from my seat because i knew as soon as i did hey you have to step over people to get to the bathroom or go anywhere but as soon as you got up you'd lose your seat too so God. for 12 hours of that day i was very content just sitting there watching Lord of the Rings.
0: <laughs> that sounds <laughs> like, uh, like some Guantanamo uh, kind of action
3: to me, man. Yeah, kind of. Uh, but, you know, it's it's Guantanamo with, Guantanamo with people you love dearly. Sure. And, no, I meant the Lord you know. of the
0: Rings part. That's, 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 oh, that's, right. <laughs> that's, that's the torturous part for me. <laughs> no, the band part's all cool. I like that. So, well, and, and at that time you had uh, the, the artist uh, now known as St. Vincent. Annie Correct Clark was in the band, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, not at that time. It was a couple years later, but yeah, uh-huh. she joined right after that tour.
0: Was that band heavily uh, populated by a uh, uh, University of North Texas uh, alumni?
3: Absolutely. I mean, that's the thing about that band. I mean, it, it can go on forever. Uh, people can join that band, go off and do their own careers. Um, it was very much a stepping stone for me, a uh, launch pad, and for so many other people too but you know once you leave the band you've got north texas there is an endless supply of amazing musicians who will do anything just to like go on the road i mean when i graduated and i first got the gig they were like hey you want to go on the road and make some money and like travel the world and i was like yeah this is everything i've always worked towards Mm -hmm. and there's a ton of people fresh out of north texas just hungry for that gig and yeah, it's, it's an endless supply.
0: And like you said, a great training ground, man. You know, it's a, it's, Absolutely. A, it's a foundation for the rest of your career.
3: Definitely.
0: Well, Manny, I'm looking at my cocktail. I don't know how yours is looking. Cause uh, again, we're in separate rooms, but uh, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I think it's time to take our little break. Yeah. I want you to do that right now.
0: I want you you tell the nation
1: and the troubled nation knows the drill and Rick um, no, it's Just, We're going to take a break and we'll be right back.
4: Don't fall in love with diamond rings or tragedy. will somehow find its way in all that you hold true. Keep them amazed with your mild devotion to majesty and some ill-quoted face. True, what would you do if it all came up to you and love? Had a new place to play? What would you do if it all came up to you and love? Had a new place. Play today Holding on, holding on sunshine.
0: With Mister Manny Chevrolet, I am Renee Coleman. Back with our terrific guest, Mister Rick Nelson. Now, Rick, uh, you know we've had uh, various sponsors uh, uh, over the the course of the podcast. Currently, we're back to our original sponsor. What is that, Manny?
1: Um, <laughs> loose change, right? Right, and loose change is is uh, loose change is everywhere, right? In
0: your pants pockets.
1: Where else? In pockets in the in the sofa. Uh huh and uh you know the laundry basket right maybe uh,
0: underneath your uh, your car seat in the car
1: underneath the car seat yeah loose change rick Right, right. So, you know, it. It,
0: it, this is a, a listener-supported operation, you know, so if you have a uh, loose change anywhere, you know, in your pants pockets, uh, bank account. You know, we do have the, the PayPal account. You can, uh, you know, uh, buy us a, co- a cocktail, a couple of cocktails. We actually uh, had uh, a couple of cocktails bought for us uh, this week, man. Yeah, I have to give a shout-out to... Uh, Mr. Tom Sewer and Mr. Joe Lanza. So I want to thank them for their support of the podcast. And, you know, also we, we, we continue to have our our uh, Patreon page, our great patrons. We do appreciate them week in, week out uh, to uh, support the operating costs and, and uh, you know, allow us to bring this, these terrific guests to you. And, you know, follow us on uh, social media, you know, at Troubled Men Podcast. Uh, you know, Twitter, wherever they're out, Facebook, uh, Instagram, and, uh, you know, follow us on uh, wherever you listen to, uh, uh, or subscribe. That's the thing. Wherever you listen to podcasts, subscribe, review, rate us, give us a five-star rating. It really helps. And what's Uh, that Venmo handle? Uh, we don't have Venmo.
2: (laughs) It's most, Ah, yeah,
0: you
3: just said Venmo.
0: (laughs) No, no, no. I said PayPal. Uh, oh paypal yeah yeah no we're we're working on that we're we're you know it's uh, I, I got my hands full here man i had a lot of tree damage <laughs>
3: <laughs> what's your what's your paypal handle so people know Oh,
0: okay so uh what is it uh paypal.me slash podcast it's, and, and, and that link is in the show notes of every show and in the Facebook page. Thank you, Rick. You're, that's a, great. you're, you're helping us ride along. Trying. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and, and you are so good in the studio, and, and you're, you're such a good uh, helper. I mean, not that you, you can drive the thing, but you're, you're a great helpmate, you know, and, and we'll, we'll get into all that because that's a very specific skill set. And, and, uh, well,
1: before we start mm-hmm. back, yeah. I wanted to say something. I don't know if we've had a chance. I, I can't remember, um, but, uh, you know, uh, the great Charlie Watts died. Did we talk about that? We
0: have not. We have not.
1: Yeah. The great Charlie Watts died. Um, and he was a drummer. Oh yeah. great yeah, drummer. And yeah, a good drummer, a great drummer. And I, I loved his fashion. Oh yeah. He, he, he dressed well, that guy. Snappy
0: dresser. Yeah. Clean. Yeah.
1: And, uh, he died and, uh, uh, you know, they uh, they were supposed to come and play the Rolling Stones for Jazz Fest, but that got canceled. And then he couldn't even play any of the American tour, right? Because he was recovering from some secret surgery that they won't let us know about. Mm-hmm. And I thought maybe it was a sex change operation or something like that. Um, I don't know, but maybe he just didn't want to come to America anymore, and I don't blame him. You know, but, uh, a yeah, shout out to Charlie Watts. He was a good guy.
3: Oh yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. That's nice, uh, Never be another man. It's, it's uh, history. Yeah, history let, let's
1: just hope they stop touring. You know, it's over. Okay. Let's just hope they stop. Now.
0: Okay. Well, you know, I'd, uh, uh, I, I hope they keep playing, you know, now, now I lose, lose Keith, uh, that, that, that argument make gets harder to make, but, uh, but we'll see. We'll see what they do. I think they're going to keep playing. I think they're going to get Steve Jordan, uh,
1: the drummer, a great – Yeah, I know. I heard yeah. all about yeah, that. Yeah, He's yeah. going to fill in. But yeah. now that COVID and catastrophe is basically the norm now here in, in America, let's just stop, you know? Okay. Let's just stop. <laughs> okay. It's over.
0: Okay. It's you over, know? people. It's, it's over. over.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's over. Okay. Let's just stop
0: okay you
1: know yeah it, well, they, they've been together what over 50 years oh yeah it's over you know okay mm-hmm. stop it guys you know, <laughs> you know
0: Manny Chevrolet's pulling the plug on the stones yeah <laughs> I, you know, I love them I love sure, them sure no you're stop. saving them yeah. from themselves you don't want to see yeah. them become yeah, an embarrassment you know? yes no I get it Manny yeah. you know, it's a, you know the, yeah. when we feel this way about people we we want them to stay the way they were forever and that's it it's not possible yeah anyway um yes that's that was sad news but uh moving on back to our guest uh he's quite alive mr rick nelson now rick uh when last we left you before the the cocktail break uh you were talking about uh opening touring with bowie now i saw that tour at the sanger Mm -hmm. and it was fantastic tour it was a great band for bowie as the I i was thrilled and you guys opened. I was a fan of the band, a fan of Polyphonic Spree. I was excited. Now, you, I asked you about that one time, and you were telling me that the Sanger was uh, just the setup of it. Like with all of Bowie's equipment, you guys were in front of it, and you said you barely had enough room to move your bow.
3: Yeah, it's and they've since expanded the back of the Sanger, so it's much larger now. But at the time, it wasn't a very deep stage. So I was literally standing on the edge of the percussion riser. I had maybe one square foot uh, of space (laughs) and like my back was up against the cymbal. So anytime the percussionist would hit the fucking cymbal, it would just resonate on my backbone. Um, (laughs) So that was a little annoying, but um, you know, we made it through it. And you know, at the end of the day, like i am I going to complain? I was on tour with David Bowie. I I got to meet the guy. He was a huge supporter, uh, down to earth, just one of the most supportive dudes I had ever met. And to this day, I I hope one day to have the same humility that he had, uh, when I met him, I, he changed my life. I I was, you know, you know, not too long out of college. I was playing music professionally for a you know as a living i had a little bit of an ego you know and and as soon as i met him all of that went away and it was just amazing because i was like oh shit well if david bowie doesn't have an ego anymore then who am i you know there's no way i could do that so um he he helped me grow a lot you know as, as, a, as a human being as a musician um I'm forever grateful for that opportunity, man. He taught us
0: so much. You know, I thought when you and, you know, as he was the the last couple of records, you know, I was already thinking I was like, you know, d- as a young man, he, he taught us how to live. He taught us how, you know, life is plastic. We can make of it what, what we what we want. We can imagine ourselves and fulfill that that image. Um, then, you know, then he, he taught us how to age gracefully, you know, and how to, how to, and, and then ultimately he taught us how to die with dignity, man. It, it's yeah. uh, holy cow, man. And you know, like, like the, when he put out, uh, um, uh, was the next
2: day, Blackstar oh, when yeah. he
0: put out the, the second to last record next day, yeah. um, on his birthday. And, and when that came, it was kind of a, that was a surprise when that came out. I was like, man, oh man, it's David Bowie's birthday and he's given the world a present. Yeah, I think that's a great record, man. And, you know, I, I love that, uh, that, that single, you know, oh Jesus. Yeah, what a what a treat, man. So how many dates did you guys wind up doing on that tour?
3: Well, we did two different tours with him. Um, both of the reality tour. Uh, God, I don't even know it was a couple months, for sure. We did all across. I mean, geez, we did everywhere. Uh, we did all around the United States. East Coast, West Coast, South Coast, all across Canada. It was all North America. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, I mean, I don't. We didn't do. There was some Midwest dates, but mostly coastal dates. Um, but yeah, it was it was a good you know around two months that we were out with him.
1: Now wasn't Bowie notoriously cheap though for his opening acts?
3: Uh, I I have never heard that before. Didn't he,
1: didn't he screw Stevie Ray Vaughan out of tons of money on the Let's Dance tour? I,
3: I, I don't know. I, I, I know that when we toured with him, I made more money than I ever made before when we had two different tour buses, and I was super happy just to have two buses. So I don't think he made any money off of us. Uh, right. So right. I'm going to have to say <laughs> that didn't apply in our case. Well, I, I will say this. Uh, I think he recognized amateur talent um he did it with us he did it with arcade fire he took these bands that needed a leg up and he really helped these bands on the way i I think someone like a stevie ray vaughn i think he probably was like well that guy's already established he's got his own thing he already had you know money coming in we were struggling you know we we had We're just kids, you know, so he really helped us out. So I think that might be the difference. I'd never heard that before, um, but that is a possibility. I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I've, I've I've heard that that rumor, but then I talked to people that were inside of that and they said, "No, man, it's not really true." You know, it's that Well, what,
1: didn't he hire the pilot for Stevie Ray's plane?
0: I don't think that's true. <laughs> I don't think that's
1: true at all. I <laughs> uh, you know, I hear, I hear things. No, I know, I know. It's, it's it's
0: never too late to start a rumor, manny. Um <laughs> So y'all do that tour and, and you play with, with, uh, with Polyphonic Spree for what'd you say, 10 years or no, you're still playing with those guys, but I mean, you were on tour with them steady for, for a solid 10 or yeah, so. Huh? I, mean, I,
3: I haven't played a show with them since 2015. Uh, I joined in 2001. Um, and I, in 2000 really 2012 was kind of like the last big tour I'd done with them. And in 2015, their new violinist uh, needed a sub so they brought me back and we actually it was kind of interesting we were playing the first album in its entirety in the manner in which it was recorded so you got to keep in mind when we recorded that first record it was it was just a demo and as it goes with playing live shows, tempos get increased and some of those songs basically turned into like punk rock songs on on stage live you see them lot like live it's like twice as fast as it is on the recording Uh but when we did that tour in 2015 we were playing them in the original tempo in the original arrangements uh which was interesting um it it was strange it was cool from a musical perspective to be able to do that uh an energy perspective um i mean you got to keep in mind playing those songs back when i was younger I would do like backflips off the tempo while headbanging, and wow, you know, really? yeah, seriously, <laughs> and like you know, you can't do that when you're playing something at like 60 BPM. It just doesn't work that right, way. Right, you, right. you
0: can't get enough launch. Yeah, yeah, you can't get enough yeah. forward momentum going. Exactly.
3: So, but
1: I hear I hear their new tour is going to have five buses.
3: Oh. Five buses. I cool. seriously doubt that. <laughs> but it would be comfortable for you. I mean it, I I wish them nothing but the best and I wish they did have five buses they could certainly use the space.
0: Yeah, 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 it's better than 30 people on one bus. 32.
3: 32, <laughs> right, right, sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> not, not to uh, not to undersell the the whole thing. Yeah. Well, so uh so uh 2010 so you you said you moved to New Orleans in 2005. Uh mm-hmm. 2010 you 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 start up a Maroney recording studio. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Now um had you as a traveling musician uh had you studied uh you know r- recording uh, studied as an engineer or or what was your background to to start a studio
3: Yeah it's really weird how I became an engineer I never planned on it it was that was never something I had set forth in my life but I uh it all came from frustration so you know as, as a strings player I was getting hired all the time to go into these different studios and record on different records and some pretty big records and some really nice studios. And I would hear back my strings on the final recordings, and it would just sound terrible. Mm. And I I hated the way that they mic'd it. You know, it's weird. People, oftentimes, a lot of engineers don't know how to properly record string instruments. There's a lot of uh, intricacies with the tone. And if you might get wrong, it just sounds terrible. So, um, I started by getting one microphone and one preamp and just recording my own string arrangements. And then one thing led to another. And I, when I built, I mean, I, I had, I had been working in other studios, uh, around the country, mostly producing at the time, not so much engineering. Um, but when I bought my house here in mid city, um, in 2008, 2009, um, I converted the whole back of the house into a, a recording studio. So at that point, I started recording more drums and guitars and other things um, to make a full band sound. And then it, we had it in the house for about two years and it just quickly, just we outgrew the house. And so we had to find a building and... Um, I was just lucky enough to have this building fall on my lap that I'm in now. Um, and then it kind of took off from there and it became Maroney Studios.
0: And it's a very storied building. So at one time that, that, that uh, space was uh, Luthgens. It was like a dance hall or something.
3: Yeah. So in the 50s, 60s and 70s, it was a jazz club. So um, mostly like traditional jazz and it was dancing uh, as long as it wasn't the jitterbug, if you dance the jitterbug, you got fined a nickel or something like that. It was, <laughs> I don't know why. And that sign is still across the street at the Friendly Bar. And unfortunately, they misspelled it. It says jitterbooging instead of jitterbugging, which always bugs me. <laughs> but whatever. And then after that, in the 80s, it was... Um, the Beat Exchange. The Beat Exchange. Exactly. That's
0: that's the location of my very first Alex Chilton gig it
3: Was uh, <gasps>
0: was that room. <laughs>
3: <laughs> love it yeah man i mean so many amazing people came in and out of there uh in the 80s uh i mean rem played one of their first gigs there to six people um i know that the velvet underground used to hang out there with uh andy warhol uh,
0: i guess Bar- barbara hoover uh was the owner that's of the correct Beat exchange and uh you know as a notorious uh scenester and and mover and shaker new one she's still out there we love you barbara
3: I've never met her, and I've wanted to so badly, um, but I've never met her before. Uh, hopefully one day.
0: Oh, yeah, no, she would love to see what, what you've done with the place. And, you know, you were talking about uh, you know teaching yourself to record strings, and it reminded me, I, I do have a note here, about how uh, Maroney Studios is one of the places, I have a, a short handful of places that I've adopted my new approach to uh, cutting bass tracks, and I would always in years past i would go and i would set my amp and get my sound like my live sound out of the amp and I'd say mix that you mm-hmm. know or mic that and then i started at some point i i i let go more and more as i get older uh rick i don't know i just i feel like you know i don't need to control everything you know it's like so i started doing this thing it's like let me see how the engineer sets the amp. I'll just say, you. let me just give me a lead. I'll just plug it into my base and I'll, I'll wait until I walk into the control room to make any judgments about what kind of sound you're going to get. Sure. And your studio is one of the places that as soon as I started doing that, it's uh, I, I, I don't think I've ever made a comment <laughs> about the, the bass sound that you get.
3: I appreciate that.
0: I walk in, I was like, fucking sounds fantastic. I got nothing to say, man. <laughs>
3: <laughs> cool. I mean, I, maybe it helps that I'm a bass player, uh, but I, 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 I never very much appreciate that. And I definitely appreciate when people are willing, the musicians are willing to put their trust in me. Um, I know within the first five minutes, sometimes five seconds, how a session's going to go. <laughs> and if the musicians I'm working with put their trust in me and I put my trust in them, the results are always fabulous. It's never disappointed. Uh, if I walk into a situation and I'm dealing with people that are constantly questioning, not only their own tone but my approach and everything, uh, and way over analyzing situations, I know exactly how the session is going to go. <laughs> and now I just usually get one of my other engineers to run those sessions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but it's amazing what happens when you put trust into people you're around because, I mean, this, it's a room that I, I, I know intimately and, right. you know, I, I, I designed it. I built it. I, every screw, every nail that's in that place. Um, I, I feel like I know it pretty damn intimately and it's kind of funny when you have somebody come in there and be like, Oh no, 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 we're going to do it this other way. I, I don't I don't like that way. I'm like, I understand that. And that might work in another studio, but for this room, this other thing works better for this only because I've done what you've done uh-huh. and, you know, ruined dozens of <laughs> records in the process. Uh, and now I figured out how to do it right. So I'm going to do it right <laughs> my way. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Trust me, man. Look, I'm, I'm not trying to screw you here. I'm trying to help right. you. Right,
3: <laughs> exactly. I, I, I'm putting my name on this too. You know? Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's it's so – and it's such a delicate – i don't have to tell you but just you know to 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 verbalize it so we can talk about it you know the the chemistry of being in the studio of course like any collaborative process you know there's there it's 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 that involves humans you know it's it's everybody's endocrine system it's you know their caloric intake that day you know how what the temperature is what the barometric pressure is if you fought with your girlfriend or not there's so many moving parts Absolutely that, you know, you, you really have to kind of, you know, be able to sense all this. And, you know, I, I went to this, uh, this, uh, you know, some music conference and it was like a producer symposium. And this guy tells a hilarious story. He's, he's talking about uh, a band comes in. And the, the point of the story is as a, as an engineer or, or, you know, a studio owner, Don't say anything more than you need to don't give Mm -hmm. an opinion that you don't need to give. It's not, it can only hurt you. The guy tells a story to illustrate that. He says, had the session, I think they were like in, in Charlottesville, Virginia or something. I may be getting too specific here, but, uh, um, these guys came down from Richmond and, and, they're having a great session. Everything goes fantastic. They're supposed to do like another day or two there. They're staying at a friend's while they're there. Uh, at the end of the first night, they're having a, a couple of beers, you know, they're just kind of shooting the shit and hanging around and the studio owner goes, so you guys are from Richmond, huh? Yeah. You know, this girl, uh, what's her name? Such and such. And the, and the leader goes, yeah, that's my girlfriend, man. <laughs> <laughs> <Hey-o>. <laughs> and he goes and the guy the, the guy goes yeah i know who you are now <laughs> mm. that was the end of the session so they, they they did not do day two and three so oh uh, no yeah so that was <laughs> you know and, and the same guy told the story of uh you know he had a second engineer and and the guitar player goes what do you think about that take and he goes oh i thought that was really good and he goes you thought that was good oh man wait and it like totally changes everything so
2: mm-hmm.
0: what i loved again i'm talking too much here what i loved about you love about working with you is you don't say anything until the band is stuck <laughs> and then you make you say just enough to get the band unstuck
3: well i appreciate that i mean it's funny because i, I see it every day and i i see the things that get bands stuck and it's usually them stuck in their own head. And usually it's like a very simple fix, but you know, I get to see everything through a microscope on my end and you guys are concentrating on your parts and playing everything together. And as you rehearse them and all that stuff, um, you know, I think it's, it helps me that I have a musician's background. So I can think of, Oh God, if I was in this band, um, how would I approach it? What would I do differently that would benefit the record better and I think that helps me inform a lot of my decisions. Um, but it's a two-way street because as much as you feel comfortable working with me and my studio, you also have that same effect on me. So I, I love recording with you and with Doug because I know if either of you guys are in the building, the session is going to go flawless and everything is going to sound great. And oh, it's just going to be a great hang overall. And that's what I really love. If I know something's going to be a pain in the ass, I dread it. But I, when I see who's like on the calendar for the next day, I get really pumped and really excited. And like when I, when I see you guys on the calendar, I'm just like, oh, man, tomorrow's going to be like hanging out with my friends. And oh, like right it's going to be a good time, you know. So I always know what I'm walking into. And the day has already been set forth. And, you know, it's great. So I thank you. So I appreciate
0: oh, uh, it. Uh, we're sucking each other's dicks here, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: it certainly sounds
0: like <laughs> yeah, it, it could be worse. Jesus yeah, it could be worse. Right? Could be worse. I know, I know. Worse. we're going to get a room yeah. after this. Uh, well, yeah. so, so so moving on. Um, uh, uh, so so you have the studio now. Now uh, the the whole Greg Dooley Association, Afghan wigs, mm-hmm. Twilight singers. How does that start? Is that through the studio?
3: Uh, it's not through the studio. Um, so. I owe much of my credit as a musician and an engineer uh, and really human being to uh, one individual uh, by the name of Dave Rosser. Yes. And he was the guy that brought me together with Greg. So Dave was our guitar player, and he was a guitar player in the Afton Wigs, uh, guitar player in the Twilight Singers. And how we first met was through another side project called the Gutter Twins. And the Gutter Twins was Greg Dooley and Mark Lanigan. And so they create this band, which at the time was the same band as Twilight Singers, which is almost kind of the same band as Afghan Wigs. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what's the difference? um, uh, Usually it it was – bass player and then it became bass player and drummer okay. besides that it's it's the same okay. so um but we play different material so right. that's the difference uh, yeah that's the difference so i got um i knew dave because we had worked on some other projects before and he brought me in to do strings on the gutter twins record saturnalia and so we uh, that's how i first met greg and he, dave was playing the twilight singers at the time and i was like hey, man, if there's ever an opportunity, um, I would love to play in the Twilight Singers. And one thing led to another, and I ended up taking over uh, for a guy named Jeff Klein who had left um, Twilight Singers. And so I stepped in, and we did the Dynamite Stets record, and uh, we toured that. And so that was kind of amazing. And then one thing, about a year or two later, uh, Afghan Wigs reformed. So it was just a natural progression. So for the longest time, it was it was uh, you know Dave Rosser, Greg Dooley, and myself between these different projects. Mm-hmm.
0: And you, and you, you you were playing guitar, playing violin, strings, what all of that piano. I know you play piano as well.
3: Yeah. So primarily now, uh, I mean, w- when Dave was in the band, my what I played was I played like keyboards and I played violin and cello, and uh, background vocals. Mm. Um, When Dave got sick, uh, so we lost Dave a a few years ago to cancer, and uh, when he first, when he got sick, he started giving me very intense guitar lessons. And, you know, I had like played some guitar as a kid, but I, you know, I went off to music school and I started learning all these other instruments, uh, and I didn't really pay much attention to guitar. But he started giving me like really rigorous guitar lessons. And so I'd show up at his place and, you know, I'd, I'd show him this thing, this lick that I transcribed of his. And he's like, he would be really stern about it. He's like, no, that's the half ass way of doing it. That's not right. <laughs> you can't do it that way. Wow. And I was like, Oh man, and Dave was a total sweetheart, but he right. was like very stern about like me learning the parts correctly. And it was way harder than I thought it was. So, um, I wouldn't say I necessarily took over his position in the band, but I did start playing guitar. So when on that last tour, after we released the, re- the last record um, in spades, I was the other guitar player along with John Skivik, who's our other guitar player as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was playing a lot of the rhythm parts and some of the lead parts. And um, I was playing his guitar through his amp with his hat on my amp, which, mm. I mean, that is a whole other story in and of itself because I can tell you so many, I don't, I don't even want to call them ghost stories, but I don't know what they are, but it's crazy things like, you know, sometimes his hat would just fly across the stage for no reason. And like, we'd be playing us you know, we played a festival in Belgium one time and it was like thunderstorms. And we get to this one part of the set, we mentioned his name and it just like, the, all the clouds parted and the, the sun came through and it was a beautiful day. I mean that shit was happening all the time. And it still does. I mean, we haven't played together in a while, but you know, the next time we go on the road, I'm sure that shit's gonna happen again. God. Dave is around us all the time. Oh, it's man. kind of amazing. It's
0: beautiful. And all of
3: his equipment is at the studio now. So it's he's very much a part of everything that happens around there.
0: Well, I mean, it seemed like the stories that you told me, it seemed like, you know, obviously Dave knew he was very sick. It seemed like he kind of trained you specifically to replace him.
3: He did. Um, it's, but it's, it's, I think deep down he knew that, but you know, up until a week before he passed, he was like, Hey man, I found this, this dude in India that's doing this crazy thing and I want to go try it out. he, he was in hospice and like, you know, the, the doctors were like, yeah, you don't really leave hospice alive, you know, but he was bound and determined until the day before he passed, he was like, I'm going to beat this thing. And he had already lost 120 pounds at this point. Mm. I mean, he was, he was really, really skinny and really, really frail. Um, and then finally, the day before he passed was the day that I I had taken... So he, he had lived on the West Bank in a house that didn't have very good locks. So like he wanted to have all of his equipment in a very safe place. So I was like, I got all of his equipment. I documented it all. I took pictures of everything. I brought it back to the studio. And so it, it was in a lockdown facility. You know, Anybody could have just walked through his front door and stolen any of his guitars. So I had all of his stuff in one place. And the day before he passed, I was sitting with him, and he's like, "He's like, do you? He's like, did you happen to take pictures?" And I was like, "Of course, I took pictures of every one of his his guitars." And I was sitting there waiting for him to decide like what he wanted to do with his equipment, thinking that he was going to give it to all these different people. Um, and pretty much every item, he's like, "Oh well, a studio has to have this. A studio has to have that. Oh, a studio has to have this." So he essentially he brought our studio to a whole nother level that I was in no financial position to be able to do so. And his last dying wish was he wanted these instruments to keep on playing long after he could no longer play them. And uh, I'm very fortunate that I get to do that. And, and and don't get me wrong. I, I don't own these instruments no more than you do or anybody else. I am a curator of a collection. I'm there to take care of them. Uh, keep them strung up uh, and maintained and And that is what I'm there for and to be played and they get played all the time. And it it makes me, it's very eerie because I'll I'll hear somebody playing one of his guitars through one of his amps with his Mm -hmm. pedals. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like a little bit of Dave coming through and it's like, wow, that's what he sounded like on that Twilight singers record. That's what he sounded like on that gutter twins record. That's what he sounded like on that Afghan wigs record. Um, so it was really yeah, amazing. Who are
1: you talking about
2: again?
0: Well, let me say it, it is a little bit of Dave coming through. That's no, that's uh, yes.
3: So go mm-hmm. ahead.
2: Now
0: to explain to him, Dave, to
3: who Dave, Dave, D- Rosser. Dave Rosser was his name. So Dave Rosser was probably the best guitar player I've ever met in my entire life. Um, and probably just one of the best musicians of all times. Like he played trumpet. He played like French horn. Um, he could just kind of pick up anything and just kind of play it. I mean, he was a total klutz as a human being. He would trip over everything <laughs> uh, and like he was a, a mess. but like one of the most talented, most intelligent people I'd ever met in my entire life. and uh, proud to have called him my friend. and uh, it's it's weird. I feel like he's he's still around us, you know he's I feel like he's just on tour all the time. Wow, I don't feel like he's passed. I feel like he's very much part of my life, and ever you had his life around me,
0: present. Yes,
3: Be very present.
0: That's beautiful, man. I love it. Well, well, uh, well, Rick. You know, we're kind of on the downslope of the podcast here. So, uh, but I mentioned uh, in the opening that you're a recent Grammy winner. So, you know, the, mm-hmm. the New Orleans Nightcrawlers went in and made that that. Uh, terrific grammy winning record we had uh craig klein on uh, right before right when they were nominated in the, the, mm-hmm. the sweet spot there you know because because that's the thing like you get nominated you're not sure you're gonna win you know if, if if you if they have the awards it's too late and you don't win it's too late to do the interview. so <laughs> you, know, you gotta do it <laughs> while you're nominated so but, but y'all did win and you were the engineer on that record is that correct i
3: was that's right nice mm-hmm. congratulations man Thank you. Uh, you know, that was an amazing experience. Um, you know, it took me forever to actually get the Grammy and I didn't think it was going to happen, but I'm now looking at it, at it on my piano. So I know it actually exists. Um, but it took a long time to get, you know, it's, it's a weird thing in in New Orleans. Um, making records in New Orleans is like making a record unlike any other place because most of the places you go to have good musicians, Um, they've got pretty good musicians and and everybody goes in and they lay down their part and you overanalyze it. Like you pick it apart and you record one thing at a time, blah, blah, blah. But in new Orleans, you've got this incredible group of musicians that they just come in, they know how to communicate with each other and they can just play music together in a room live. (laughs) And I love that. It's so (laughs) great. You know, it's such a, it's how music started. You know, I don't know how we got so far away from that, but...
0: Stand in front of the microphone and be an adult. Be great. Yeah, yes, do, exactly. what, do what you do in front of people. Yes.
3: And it just makes my life so much easier because all my job is is to not screw it up. So, I mean, Nightcrawlers is, is an absolutely amazing band. It, it's been an honor to work with them. It was an honor to receive that award. Um, but they're just an example of this insane level of musicianship in this town yes. that just makes my life so much easier, you know, because when you're, when you're struggling with a band, it's like, Oh, you got to work out every detail of every drum hit of everything oh, or whatever. God. It's overanalyzed. And it's just, <laughs>
2: it's, torture. It, it's
3: not, it's not music. And you just get a great group of musicians together in a room that just do what they do. So naturally they're all killer players. Yeah. Um, so of course, every single one of them, Coming together, just adding their flavor to the band, just makes this killer band. Uh, so they made a killer record, and you know, I'm I'm just proud to have been part of it. You know, nice, nice. Yeah, it's been great. And you have.
0: I look at your your you know your your booking sheet and you have one band like that after another. I mean, I mean you must really be thrilled, right? And well, you have a great room. Everybody loves being there. You get great sounds. Again, I'm going to start to suck your dick again a little bit, <laughs> but, uh, but we're almost done, Manny. So uh, <laughs> uh, we'll 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 uh, resume this off camera, Rick.
3: Yeah, uh, it's kind of amazing, man. I mean, that's that's the thing. Like, it, I don't know if I feel my life as an engineer would be as fulfilled in another city as it is in New Orleans because of the level of musicianship here. Um, And it's inspiring every day. I just like look at the calendar for the next day and see who's coming in. And that's another thing, this community, this music community in New Orleans, I mean, it's, they might, people might come in the door and start as just someone that's making the record, but they always become my friend. So it's like, I'm basically going to record, going to, to make a record every day with another friend of mine which I think is awesome and it's just really rewarding to like working with friends that are open to ideas, open to my suggestions and it just ends up being this wonderful community um, that just resonates throughout new Orleans. And I, I, am it's, I'm very lucky to have the job that I have. So I, I, love being a touring professional touring musician. That is a whole other aspect of my life, but it's also nice to know that I don't have to be on the road 300 dates out of the year, and I can be home and I can have a job working with music and musicians doing what I love the most um, makes me very fulfilled. So I'm, I'm grateful for that.
0: Man, man, that's, uh, I feel really up after this. I feel very excited. Good. I feel very positive. <laughs> um,
3: uh, well, Manny,
0: I, I don't have anything to add to that. Uh, you... No, I'm fine. All right. Well, uh, Rick, thank you so much. Uh, it's, it's been a thank you. Guest, man. I can't wait to it's get been back amazing. into uh, Maroney Recording Studios. And I'm looking you forward to that.
1: Go get a room now.
0: Yeah, yeah, we are for <laughs> sure.
1: Right, you got, got it. Quality end. All right, later. As Trouble Nation knows, uh, Trouble, uh, what is it? Trouble, Trouble never, never ends, ends, but the, the, the struggle, struggle continues. continues. Good night. Good
0: night.